Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. This is the California Report. Good morning. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. We begin in San Bernardino County, where a sheriff's deputy has died in the line of duty. San Bernardino County Sheriff John McMahon made the announcement late last night. It's my sad duty to report that despite the heroic life-saving measures of the staff at the hospital, Sergeant Dominic Baca, 43 years old and 17-year veteran of the Sheriff's Department, has succumbed to his injuries. McMahon says yesterday afternoon, Sheriff deputies spotted a motorcyclist without a license plate in the community of Yucca Valley. When they attempted to pull him over, he drove off, leading to a high-speed chase. They later found the motorcycle abandoned, which is when investigators say the motorcyclist opened fire on the responding deputies, hitting Sergeant Vaca. Deputies returned fire, killing the suspect. In recent years, Californians have debated whether or not to change the names of places because of their historically racist associations. The ski resort of Squaw Valley, for instance, is changing its name because Squaw is a derogatory term for Native Americans. The Northern California town of Fort Bragg considered changing its name because it was named for a general who fought for the Confederacy, but decided not to. The California Report's Keith Mizuguchi spoke with Los Angeles Times reporter Brittany Mejia about the latest of these debates in the rural Sierra County town of Downeyville, about 100 miles from Sacramento, all over one specific name. Jim Crow Road, Jim Crow Canyon, Jim Crow Creek, they're all named after this miner, um, or said to be named after this miner, um, who, you know, found a lot of gold. Some people say he discovered the canyon. There's pretty much really mixed reviews about who this man was, what his name was, uh, and just his story in general. And so for many of the property owners who live on this road or in this area, I imagine, you know, a lot of the social outrage over names is sort of fueling their fight. Yes, definitely. I feel like if you look at what's happening across the country and what's been happening, especially in the last year or so, you know, names getting changed or thing, you know, and that's it's just a classic example that's playing out in this small town. Um, And, you know, but the residents there or the property owners, there's like four of them who brought it to the county supervisor and they were like, you know, we it's time we change the name. And one of the places on the road is actually a resort. Um, And so they have people booking rooms and they're, you know, obviously really offended by the name. They even made the point where it's like, you know, within this last years or so, like it's worse. Like and it makes sense. I mean, there's more sensitivity about things like this. As is the case in most of these situations where there is the possibility of renaming, there is debate and there is other opinions. Not everyone necessarily agrees with removing the name, correct? 
Right, exactly. I think what's been coming up here is people kind of bemoaning uh, woke cancel culture. Uh, when this first came before the bo- the county board of supervisors in April, I mean, all the letters that were written in were about cancel culture and were people complaining and saying, you know, we can't let cancel culture take over our community. And, you know, one of the the residents in Downeyville actually like did a Facebook post and it got like over a hundred or at least a hundred comments. And it was just people arguing back and forth, you know, on one side saying, you know, that we can't just get rid of everything, get rid of our history. And those on the other side saying, no, like we have to to change with the times and, and be more sensitive, especially now. And important to note, uh, you know, you hear a lot about this in bigger cities, you know, San Francisco, Oakland, Los Angeles. Um, but this is popping up more and more in rural parts of the state as well, correct? Right, exactly. I mean, that's what's interesting to know as well. It's It's kind of similar to what's just kind of been popping up elsewhere. And the reaction is very different maybe than what you would find in a place like Los Angeles or San Francisco. That was Brittany Mejia, LA Times Metro reporter. Brittany, thanks so much for your time today. We appreciate it. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. The Sierra County Board of Supervisors is holding a public hearing on the renaming of Jim Crow Road later this morning. And later today, Governor Gavin Newsom will join Secretary of State Shirley Weber and Attorney General Rob Bonta at a virtual event to mark the inaugural convening of California's first-in-the-nation statewide reparations task force. The launch coincides with another historic event that's also spurring calls for reparations, the 100-year anniversary of the Tulsa Massacre. KQED's Holly J. McDeed reports Oakland Congresswoman Barbara Lee was among the officials in Tulsa this week. Lee visited Tulsa, Oklahoma on Monday to commemorate the massacre where a mob of white people killed hundreds of black residents in the Greenwood district known as Black Wall Street. She met with Viola Fletcher and her brother, two of the few people who lived through the massacre still alive today. Lee says all survivors and their descendants need to be made whole. And never, ever have those survivors and descendants been compensated, the damage has not been repaired. And it's a shame and disgrace that this country has allowed what has happened in uh, Greenwood, Oklahoma, to be swept under the rug. And she says that history needs to be told, in spite of several states recently passing laws limiting how racism is discussed in schools. For The California Report, I'm Holly J. McDeed. 107-year-old Viola Fletcher worked as an assistant welder in California shipyards during World War II before moving back to Oklahoma. Late last month, she testified before Congress in support of reparations. Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse, golden state. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. 
And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. And finally, a couple of weeks ago, we told you about an effort to recall three out of five county supervisors in Northern California's Shasta County because they supported the state's efforts to control the spread of COVID-19 by closing schools and businesses. Now the county's registrar of voters says a special election could cost Shasta County up to $640,000. The recall campaign is being pushed by conservative activists who critics have called right-wing militants and conspiracy theorists. Meanwhile, recall supporters claim they're being intimidated by the Shasta County District Attorney's Office, which they say has sent investigators to their office to make sure the recall effort is being conducted in a legal manner. And now let's turn to the pandemic. In Los Angeles, black residents are getting sick and dying from COVID at a higher rate than any other race or ethnicity. KPCC's Jackie Fortier reports. Black Angelinos have lagged behind in vaccinations, but they've never had more COVID cases or deaths. L.A. County Public Health Director Barbara Ferrer said for months that Latinos had been hit the hardest, including during the winter surge. This is a change, and, and again, rates are very low in all of our communities, but we have the lowest uh, vaccination coverage amongst Blacks, African Americans uh, throughout the county than we do when compared to all our other communities. I would say that this is uh, largely the the biggest contributing factor, yes. Ferrer said 40% of Black residents over the age of 16 have been vaccinated. That's an improvement since April, but it's still below other ethnic and racial groups. L.A. County has a very low case rate, but with restrictions lifting on June 15th, Ferrer said the health department will work to counter harmful vaccine myths by working with community leaders. Large-scale vaccine sites are being phased out in favor of smaller, more targeted mobile teams. For the California Report. I'm Jackie Fortier in Los Angeles. Meanwhile, in the Bay Area, businesses in Santa Clara County have until today to collect information on their employees' COVID vaccination status. This is part of the county's latest health order issued just a few weeks ago, which took many businesses by surprise. But speaking to the Silicon Valley organization recently, Assistant County Counsel Tony Lopressi tried to clear up some of the confusion. This is not a requirement that everybody get vaccinated. There's nothing in the order that says all personnel must get vaccinated. It's not a requirement that businesses disclose to the broader workforce or the public who is and who is not vaccinated. Because employers don't have to report this information to the public health department, many are questioning why it's even necessary in the first place. County Council James Williams says it's because there are different rules for those who are vaccinated and those who aren't. Workplaces in Santa Clara County could face a fine of up to $5,000 a day if they're not in compliance with the health order. But Williams says the goal isn't enforcement, but rather for owners to act in good faith. 
Let's turn to housing. California's eviction moratorium put in place because of the pandemic is slated to end on June 30th. Meanwhile, the state's rental aid program has gotten off to a slow start. Tenant advocates say that could put renters across the state at risk of eviction. KQED's Molly Solomon has more. Less than 2% of federal rent relief has actually gotten into the pockets of California's struggling renters and landlords. That means just $20 million has been paid out out of $1.4 billion available. Francisco Duenas is the head of Housing Now, a coalition of advocacy groups. We cannot open up the floodgates for further evictions when rent relief has not reached and had not had its impact. His group and others surveyed 177 organizations who are helping tenants apply for rent aid and found lots of problems. Gen Fujioka is doing outreach with renters through the San Francisco Anti-Displacement Coalition. Many, many applied or attempted to apply, but the vast majority of those people who began the application process did not complete it because the application process itself was very daunting. The survey also found some people didn't have access to the documents they need, like a lease or pay stubs. Technology was also a barrier. Some tenants didn't have internet access or struggled to upload all of their documents. I'm pretty tech savvy, and it took me two weeks. Jalen Bailey lives in Pasadena and works as a writer for film and television. Freelance jobs dried up during the pandemic, and now she owes $30,000 in back rent. She says her landlord has sent her an eviction notice despite the current moratorium. The physical and emotional toll of this is very difficult to express. It is overwhelming because of its duration and the sense of isolation Los Angeles County has approved her application, but it's on hold until her landlord submits their information. And she doesn't know if they're going to do that. We don't know where we are in the system. There's just been no communication. The state is working to streamline the application and require less documentation. But tenant groups say time is running out and say it would be catastrophic to let eviction moratoriums expire before relief reaches the people who need it the most. For the California Report, I'm Molly Solomon. And finally this morning, a bipartisan group of state lawmakers is asking California's attorney general to review expenditures of a fire victim trust. It's charged with distributing billions of dollars to Pacific gas and electric fire victims. The legislator's request comes after a KQED investigation into the trust's overhead expenses. My California Report co-host Lily Jamali joins us now with more. Lily? Hi, Saul. This letter to Attorney General Rob Bonto was signed by almost a dozen state lawmakers. All of them represent communities burned by fires sparked by PG&E equipment, including in Napa, Sonoma, and Butte counties. They're asking for a review of the Fire Victim Trust's expenditures. And as we've been reporting, the trust spent $51 million on overhead in its first year, while just $7 million went to fire victims during that time. Now, we know that the pace of payments has picked up, with $250 million going to fire victims so far this year. But that's still just a tiny fraction of the billions of dollars that were promised. State Senator Mike McGuire represents Sonoma County, which was hit hard by the 2017 North Bay firestorm. We firmly believe that these dollars should have flowed quicker, and we hope that we can work with the Attorney General's office to force the trustees' hands to move with speed uh, and get caught up with these payments. The attorney general's office said it's unable to comment on any potential investigations. The trustee also declined to comment. 
Meantime, most of the 70,000 fire victims promised help are still waiting for it. That was the California Report's Lily Jamali. And that is our show for Tuesday, June 1st. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great day and talk tomorrow. Support for the California Report comes from Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food. On the web at theschmidt.org. The law firm Perkins Coie, a trusted legal advisor to innovative companies and industry leaders throughout California and the world. Learn more at PerkinsCOIE.com. And Blue Shield of California, closing the health care gap since 1939. Learn more about their commitment to quality and fair health care for every Californian at news.blueshieldca.com. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hi there, I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.